Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. If you have your Bibles, turn to Galatians chapter 6. We're going to be looking at five verses today. As you know, we are continuing in our series, Check In. And as we've been talking about how we're checking in with our relationship with God, that's what we talked about last week. And today I want to talk about checking in with our accountability, why that is so important, and how that's going to help us in our spiritual journey. So as you're turning to that passage, as you know, we do have our church app with notes there so you can follow along, and hopefully that will kind of help you to see the structure of the passage that I'm going to be going over. I wanted to start off with a question. I'm wondering how many of you ever played on a high school sports team. Can I go ahead and ask you to raise your hand if you have done that, a high school sports team? Okay, I guess uh, orchestra doesn't really count as a sports team, but, <laughs> but, but, but I will include that. Those of you who have also done orchestra, that's part of a semi-team sport, so uh, you can go ahead and raise your hand for that. Uh, math club, kind of, you know those. Uh... Hey, I'm trying to cover everybody, all right? Just making sure no one is left out, so uh, some of us can hopefully understand this illustration. But I'm just wondering, just for a moment, as you're thinking about whether it's a sports team, orchestra, or one of those math decathlons, whatever you have, you know, whatever you do, debate team, all that stuff, I want you to think about this for a moment. What would happen if one of your members, your teammates, just decided during a championship game or the final presentation, or whatever it is, that you, that person decides not to give their 100%. In fact, they weren't really trying. You notice it. You see it. Because you have seen them in other contexts, and they have given their 100%. But then in this moment, as you're trying to win this championship game, that they're not, quote-unquote, producing. They're not really giving their 100%. They're kind of walking back on the court or on the field. They're not doing the best that they can. I'm asking you this because I would say, how would you respond? First of all, I think you will get upset at your team member, that person who's being lazy or not trying. That's a, that's a natural response because you're in a championship game and you want to win, but this person is not giving their 100%. I think also you will have a hard time depending on them trusting in them, and eventually, if it's a good coach, he will pull that person out and bring someone else in. I think there's something about being accountable to others that not only makes us better, but we're able to accomplish more things together. I'm going to show you this quick video as a basketball coach who's teaching um, these young players, youth, to really learn the concept of accountability and why that's important for a team to be able to win championships, to be able to win games and do things together. And so I'm going to show you this video and just kind of listen to what he's saying. And even though it's in the, excuse me, even though it's in the context of a team, you got to ask yourself, what am I accountable to? What is it that I'm responsible for? So let's watch this together, shall we? that we hold one another accountable. And I think this is something that we really have to try to understand when it comes in the context of the church. 
the way I want to think about it is we're a team. And we talked about that, how every single one of you, a church is not a building. Every single one of you are part of the church. You are the church. And each one of you have a significant role, every single one of you, with your gifts and your talents, and especially those of you who have committed to membership. You, you all have some level of responsibility and something that you have so, to somebody you have to be accountable to. Let me put it this way so that you can understand it a little bit better. Let's just say that you're part of a life group. And we have decided that as a life group, we want to be a welcoming, hospitable, and a very loving community to any new guest that comes to our group. That might be a value that you wrote down, a covenant that you signed, that you believe in it, you're all agreeing to it, this is something that you believe in, this is who we are. And let's just say that we have a life group activity, I don't know, like a barbecue or something like that. And we have a lot of new guests who came out to that barbecue. And now, once again, the values that we agreed to to make up the community is we're going to be a welcoming, a loving, a community that allows new people, new guests to come and experience the love of God, the very thing that we have experienced ourselves. So therefore, if what would happen if every single person in that life group did not talk to any of the newcomers? Just think about it for a second. Well, first of all, that member in your life group who brought those friends will hate you really badly. They will be ticked off at you. That's the first thing. Second thing is these guests would be like, man, this community is not really worth being a part of. They're like this at work. They're like this at school. So why should I come? They'll probably feel like they're wasting their time. So that's another thing that would probably happen. And also, you will not be living out the vision, the mission, and the value that you agreed to. So the question is this. Who's going to keep them accountable? And who are you accountable to if you decide, you know what? I'm just going to be around people that I feel comfortable with, and I don't want to reach out to these new guests. Because this is something that we all agree to. And something that we forget is that what we agree to, it doesn't just affect you, it doesn't just affect that one new guest, but it affects the whole life group. That's why whenever I look at life group, and sometimes I get the evaluation, sometimes I'm hearing stories of what's going on, it's because there is no accountability. Your actions are not being brought into account. Let me put it this way, the Oxford Dictionary uses the word or defines the word accountable in this way. It's about a person or organization or institution that is required or expected to justify actions or decisions. So if our life group is not going well and there's no newcomers and we're, we're not, and, but we agree that this is something that we want to experience and there is no account for your actions and being able to explain what's going on, 
that I'm telling you right now, your group is not going to grow. If you have committed to loving one another, and that covenant that you made, there is no account of your action, especially when you're hating that person, there's disunity, you're spreading rumors and gossip. Your actions are not brought into account, especially under the covenant that you've made, that you want to be a loving community. This is why when the leaders or anyone who's committed to the vision and mission does not call out that person, then that person will continue to do what they're doing and destroy the group. They're not, their actions are not being brought into account. I think it's very important that we have to make the distinction between responsibility and accountability. And that's something that the coach was saying as well. They're two separate things, but they're interrelated. Listen to me carefully. Therefore, a person can be responsible but not accountable. But you cannot be accountable without being responsible. Are you with me? I hope you got that. That you could be responsible but not accountable, but you cannot be responsible or did I get accountable without being responsible. By the way, that's not the one thing. <laughs> Let me try to explain the difference. I was racking my brain just trying to think the difference. How do, you, how do I explain this? Uh, let's say you got hired for a job. Some of you are like, any job will do because I'm still looking. But let's say you got hired for a job. And your responsibility is to deliver packages to different organizations especially when they have a package that want to be delivered to their place. That's your job. That's your responsibility. But one day, as you're trying to take a package, your car breaks down. So you can't deliver that package. Now, you could say to yourself, that's not my responsibility. Let me explain why. Because it's not my responsibility to fix the car. My, I, I, it wasn't my responsibility that the car broke down. But that's if you only have a responsibility mindset. That's why many of us will only do things that we're responsible for. Are you with me? That's why it is so easy for people to not move things forward, but they're just focused on their responsibility. Hey, I've done what I was supposed to do. I said hi to that person. But a person who's accountable, listen to me, is that they understand it's not just about delivering the package alone, but there's a lot of stuff involved. So therefore, when the car breaks down, if someone is accountable, you know what they'll do? They'll take the MTR. They will find a bicycle. Because it's not just about delivering the package alone, but it's about the company. It's about the greater good. The vision. That's why, once again, there's a difference between responsibility and accountability because you could be responsible, but once it goes outside of that, you're done. And therefore, it still not, might not be accomplished. But when you're accountable, that means that as you're responsible for doing things, now you are justifying why you do what you do. So why is all this important? Well, I think I don't have to go into all the details, but I think many of you know 
There have been so many scandals in the corporate world, even in the church, and there were people who were responsibly doing things, but they were not accountable. The Bible teaches us that we will all be held accountable before God, no matter who you are. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, in the New Living Translation, listen to what it says. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom we are accountable. All of us will stand before Christ one day, and we have to give an account for our lives. Now, those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, because we have put our faith in his work, finished work, death, and the resurrection, that now as we stand before God, we do not stand on our own merits, but we stand on the justification that comes through Christ and what he has sacrificed on the cross for us. He took our place. So every single time God looks at us, even in the midst of our mistakes, he doesn't see us. He sees Christ's righteousness. He doesn't see our righteousness. So that's why we can have peace. We're not afraid to die and stand before God, even though there are things in our lives still that we're wrestling through with. Because Christ died once and for all, and he saved us and forgiven us. For those of us who have not trusted in Jesus Christ, and all those who uh, com completely defy God, one day that their life will be brought to account. What did you do when you were part of that life group, and they were sharing the gospel? You rejected Jesus Christ. What did you do when you were in that Sunday and heard the gospel for you challenging you to repent of your sins? What did you do? You rejected the gospel, so that action would be brought into account. So all of us will stand before God, and we have to give an account for our lives. The Bible also teaches that we need to be accountable to others. That's why in James chapter 5, verse 16 in the NIV, it says this, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective that we're confessing sins to one another, if you have hurt them, if we have done other things to other people, that's just bringing our lives into account. So today as we talk about accountability, I don't want it to be something like a structural thing, but I want you to understand it more on the concept-wise and then to be able to apply this by the way you live, the way I live, the way we live together in a community that will have each one of us to be brought into account before God and before one another. So here's the one thing that I want you to focus on. is simply this, that we can have good accountability when we live in real authenticity. That we can have good accountability when we live in real authenticity. Uh, we talked about how good accountability, and which is something that we all need, can really come about when we learn how to live authentically with this authenticity in our lives. And that simply means just being genuine. It means to be real. It means to be who you are. And a lot of times we hide our, this, our inner self because there's a lot of things that come with it, being afraid or judged. And so the more authentically we can live our lives as we focus on Jesus, not on ourselves, then we're going to be able to have this good accountability that will help us, especially to grow spiritually. And as we're talking about heading into the summer, we really want this summer to be an incredible summer of spiritual growth for every single one of you. I want to talk about two specific things in these five verses as we talk about have, how having good accountability 
uh, comes when we live in real authenticity. The first thing is this, that we must, we must be authentically helpful, that we have to be authentically helpful. Let me just go ahead and read the first two verses and listen to what it says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. It says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Let me pause here and comment on these two verses. Now, it's not going to make much sense unless you read the whole chapter prior, in chapter 5. And you will notice that Apostle Paul finishes off, you could just kind of peruse through it really quickly, the end of chapter 5. He's challenging people to live for Christ by depending on the Holy Spirit and not on your flesh. Now, one of the issues that began to happen in Galatia was that there were a lot of Judaizers, and these are people who would want to have Christians turn back to the Old Testament stuff. You got to observe this law. You got to do this stuff. And so there was a lot of legalism that was going on amongst the Christians here in Galatia. And here's Paul, even in the first couple chapters, he's like, who has bewitched you? I mean, who has like totally confused you? Who, who has turned this gospel, this pure gospel around that it's not about works. It's not about what you do. It's not about what you earn. It's not about what you deserve. It is about what you deserve, which is wrath and hell. But God has saved us, and so now by giving us forgiveness, his love and salvation is something that is undeserved. And he says, you're going back to your old way of life. So that's why when he closes out chapter 5, he says, live by the Spirit, not by your flesh. The flesh always wants to be self-justified. We want to be self-righteous. But Paul is saying, no, you got to be able to live by the Spirit of God, because when you do, you will produce fruit. Such thing as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. And he says, above all these things, above these things are greater than all the law. And as he's talking about this, he's trying to help them to understand when you don't live by the Spirit and this transformed life and you keep on going back to being self-righteous and your own way of earning things, what he's saying is that it's going to lead to defeat or pride. Isn't that true? Aren't those the two extremes? Whenever you trust in yourself and your own righteousness and what you're able to do, we either get defeated because it's hard. You will never be perfect. You'll keep on screwing up. You'll mess up. And you're going to be defeated. And after a while, you're going to be like, why, why should I even try this Christian life? It's too hard. I've seen a lot of people like that. Or some of us who are really capable, we try to do all the stuff, and we look at other people and say, oh, look at me, and what do we do? We, we get proud people. This is church people who are so proud because they never drank, they never smoked, they never did all the stuff, and they're, they're holy externally, but in their hearts, they're wicked people. That's why Jesus came in Matthew, and he gave the Sermon on the Mount, and he goes, you have heard it once said, do not murder but I tell you that if you hate anybody, that you have committed murder in your heart. Because what he's saying is just because you have the external things of looking good, but it's your heart that's wicked. You have all this anger. You have all this stuff, a hatred towards people. You cannot forgive. Then you're killing them in your heart. And why is that murder? Because that's what it starts from in your heart. And it ends to killing somebody. 
And so when you think about this, you realize, yeah, if I'm living in the flesh, then it's easy to what? To struggle and to either get proud or get defeated, or we live by the Spirit of God, knowing that we're sinful, and without Christ, we will be forever banished. But in His grace and in His mercy, He allows us to even produce fruits like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That can only come through the Spirit of God. That's why in verse 1, Paul tells the people to help those who are struggling with sin. Whether it's like a bondage issue, it might be something that they're wrestling through with, an addiction. But in this context, it's more of those people who are wanting to go back to that sinful life of self-righteousness. And he's saying, those of you who are spiritual should help these people who are struggling, these brothers and sisters. That's why the phrase, caught in any transgression refers to being overtaken by sin it's interesting that in the new living translation it says dear brothers and sisters if another believer is overcome by some sin think about that that this idea of being overcome just overtaken the contemporary english version says this so if someone is trapped in sin it's almost like they were kind of wandering around and then they got their foot trapped in one of those bear traps, and they're trying to get out, they can't. Or they fall into this hole, and they're trying to rescue themselves, and they can't. That's why the word transgression is translated as fault or a fall beside. So you're walking and you fall beside on the road or a false step, a blunder, or failure to achieve. So it's like failure to get to where you need to go because you fall over to the side. So think about that for a moment. What Paul is trying to describe is someone who heads towards sin and is either not aware of it or they cannot prevent it. So this will help you. It's like the bridge is out. Literally half of the bridge is gone. But this person is just driving and doesn't know that the bridge is gone because it's hard to tell when you're just moving straight ahead if the bridge is out or not. And it's like that person who's headed in a direction that's going to lead to consequences, that's going to lead to destruction, that might even lead to their death, their spiritual death, and they don't see it. And here you are who are spiritual, it says what? To help them. Now, Paul, when he mentions those who are spiritual, he's referring to not like, well, I read more soap than you. Well, when I pray, I use a lot of hard words that you don't even understand. Some deep theological words. Like the providence. <laughs> I got this weird feeling that this week a lot of people were talking about providence and praying providence. But when he says those who are spiritual, he is referring to those people who are still living in dependence in the spirit. They didn't go back to the legalism. They didn't go back to their own flesh. But they realized it's the grace of God that I don't deserve. And that's why they're able to overcome. That's why they're able to depend on God. That's why they were able to abide. So what he's saying is those of us who are spiritual, those who are still living in God's grace, who didn't revert back to the legalism, he's exhorting them to restore those things that have been abandoned. Help those people who left living in his grace and went back to legalism, went back to their own flesh, He's saying those who are spiritual, who are here, help those people 
who are heading over there because they didn't even see her. They were just walking and they fell in. They just went back to their old way of life. Now, in order to be helpful, as I talked about this first point of being authentically helpful, we have to help people to come back to Christ. And so let me encourage us a couple things as we think about being helpful. The first thing is this. We have to think about the approach. In verse 1, we see the word restore. Now, this is a very interesting word because this word, when you study this, it means to repair or to restore to a former good condition or to prepare or to fit out or to equip. So that this word is a very powerful word because sometimes when we think about restore, we just think about, oh, making it, everything better. But it has all the significant words of bringing it back to the former good condition, repairing, to prepare, to equip. It's interesting that this word is used to describe a person's uh, limb or bone that is dislocated. Now, I'm going to ask us, how many of you have ever dislocated a, a, a bone in your body or a muscle? <laughs> Some of you are like, oh, so painful. What do they do? They pull it back into the joint. And you're like, ah. That's the word that Paul is using. Here's an arm, but it's dislocated. They went back. They fell in. And Paul is like, you who are spiritual, restore it. Now, that word, because it's so strong, what does he say? Because what he's saying is, as you pull back the limb, pull back the bone, because they were living here, they got disjointed going back, pull their arm back out the way it's supposed to be. And he says, do it with what? Gentleness. Or if you want to translate it in a different way, meekness. Meekness is willing to just humbly... Submit yourself to God and his will above yours. Gentleness doesn't mean like, you know, yeah, if you want to. That's not gentleness. Not in the biblical sense. It's about being meek. It's about the sense of humility. Not exerting yourself, but just allowing God to work in your life and in that person's life. I think on one hand, it is better received whenever there has to be a rebuke or a correction, especially in accountability relationships, to bring up things with gentleness rather than harshness. Can I get a good amen to that? Some of you have never been gently encouraged. Something that I tell people, especially when I'm counseling, like those of you who don't know me, uh, well, you probably do because you hear me preach uh, often, but I'm a pretty direct guy. I'm like a no-sense kind of guy. Whenever people are like fluffing things up, I kind of look at them very in a weary. So they could do all the flags, trying to distract me. I'm just looking right at your eyes. And I look at your actions because action speaks louder than words. So I hate talkers. Show me by your actions. And because of my background in psychology and sociology, so I look at you individually and also as a whole group. 
that I'm always constantly analyzing, observing. Now everyone's self-conscious now, but don't be. <laughs> and there are times when I'm meeting with people and if, if they're like trying to squirm out of it or they're trying to justify themselves or they're being very self-centered, I will say so. In a loving way, but I will say so. Hey man, that sounds like you're really focused on yourself. And there have been people where I have shared some things very directly and either they have misunderstood it, mistook it, or just didn't want to hear it, or no one has ever told them anything that's maybe wrong with them. But one of the things I've learned over the years is that if I just leave them there, like you suck, and just say, bye, I got to go to my next meeting. I'm telling you right now, that person will not change. Are you with me? Because if you say, like, I stink, I'm not that good, I have all this stuff, and you just leave them there, that's the bad news. That's why in any counseling session or any relationship where you have where there's accountability, you have to highlight the bad news, but then the greater thing you highlight is what? The good news, the gospel. And I realize that those people who can get beyond themselves and how much they suck or how much they feel so defeated, if they can go beyond themselves and they start looking more towards Christ and what he's offering and why he did what he did on the cross, then there's hope. I'm not good, but God is really good. I'm not that great, but Jesus is great. I cannot save myself, but Jesus has saved me. It's what you focus on. That's part of gentleness, to be able to say, hey, let me come alongside you. These are some things that are going on in your life, but let's look at Christ together. That's the gospel. If you don't have anyone like that in your life, I'm telling you right now, you are not going to grow. Almost every single person out of all the years of doing ministry that have grown spiritually, they've always had somebody who's walking with them and bringing up different things. Because we all have blind spots. We all need people around us to speak into our lives. But some of you are like a self-made man or self-made woman, and you just feel like, I could do whatever I want to do. And I'm telling you right now, you might be growing for a little bit, but you're going to be stalled later on. Because there will be more difficult things that will be coming. There's going to be more bridges that are broken. There's going to be other things that are coming, and you're going to want to be tempted. There's going to be a temptation to go in those directions. But here is somebody who is spiritual, who understands the gospel, and they're speaking to you to bring back the joint that has been now dislodged, to bring you back to say, listen, it's about Christ. It's about grace. It's about mercy. It's about his love. Not about what you do. Not about how many soaps you send out. Not about how many times you pray at 514. It's not, it's not about all that. I hope none of you guys are like, see, I told you, I don't have to read the Bible. I don't have to do anything. I hope you don't go there. For you. It's good to do those things. But finding your justification or your righteousness in that, that's where it's wrong. So this gentleness, another thing you will notice, it's not only the gentleness the approach when it comes to helping people, those who are spiritual, to help them and keeping accountable. But the second thing I want you to notice is you'll see the attitude. Look at the attitude. In verse 2, as we read, we notice that it says, bear with one another each other's burdens, to bear with others' burdens. And it says that's how we are fulfilling the law of Christ. The word fulfill, it means to satisfy the requirements of. 
So it says to fulfill the law of Christ, it means to fulfill the, the required, satisfy the requirement of what? Of the law of Christ. Now the question is, what is the law of Christ? Well, he talked about it earlier in chapter 5, verse 14. Listen to what it says. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. What is that? Just say this with me. It says what? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So if you want to summarize it even with one, it's just simply loving people or just love. That's the fulfillment of the law of Christ. And don't we see this in the context of life group? I think mostly in the LCG context, those of you who might not know, that's our life change group where you meet with one person for one hour once a week and there's accountability. And I think sometimes it's hard trying to fight this battle by ourselves because Christian life is hard, especially when you have to do it alone. But to be able to have some people who are helping us, walking with us, bearing this weight with us, it's so much easier. I love it when I see just whether I'm out and going to the MTR, like some of these people are carrying some heavy bags, but you know with those two straps, one person carries one side and the other person carries another side. I'm like, that's a good illustration of Galatians chapter 2. Because if they try to carry it by themselves, it's really heavy. But there are two people, so they carry one part of the strap, and the other person carries the other, and then they're walking. I'm like, you're, you're carrying the load together. It's easier. I think nothing describes a legalistic person better than those, than those people in how they treat others. Let me rephrase it. Legalistic people treat those who are struggling very poorly. Why? They'll be like, look at you. And this is why legalism kills the church. Self-righteous people kill community. That's why if I smell it in a room, it, it's like durian. <laughs> Dirty socks, how's that? Some of you love durian smell. But in Malaysia, they have like signs that says no durian in this hotel or no durian in the elevator because it smells so bad. Dirty socks. You can just smell it like. Or, or when you wash your clothes and you don't have a dryer, you try to hang dry. Oh. Everyone's like, uh-huh, right here, I smell it. You know that smell, that little like musty kind of smell that hasn't fully dried? You know what I'm talking about. It's that smell. Like, self-righteousness. <laughs> Legalism. <laughs> people who are legalistic have a hard time loving people. That's why if there's anything you need to work on, is learn how to just love Jesus and love people and do that well. Whenever you feel like you have a hard time loving people, that's a sign that you're not doing well with God. Don't ever forget that. When there are times when I have a hard time loving some people, not you, of course, all of you in our church, so lovable, those people out there, you know. <laughs> and I realize that when I sometimes look, I'm like, I cannot love that person. 
I just can't. But when I'm praying for them, even though they don't know I'm praying for them, even though I'm praying for my own heart, the next time I see them, I can love them. I can talk to them. Because I realize that God has loved me when I was unlovable. God forgave me when he should not have forgiven me. That's why those who are experiencing gospel every single day, they're able to then overflow and share it to other people. I think for some of us, and this is where I, it's going to get a little bit sensitive, when, the, when the, did that stop the Spirit of God to speak to us? To all of you who are very harmonious, and I'm, there's nothing wrong with being harmonious, because when, when people sing in harmony, it sounds great, doesn't it? So our, our, being harmonious is not a bad thing. It's, things are in sync. But can I just challenge some of us that those of us who don't bring up anything with the people that you're in relationship with, you're always nice. I'm going to just call this out as it is. You are not a loving person. In fact, you are a loving person, but you love yourself. Because you don't want to be disliked. So who is it about? It's about you. You don't want to look bad. So who is it about? It's about you. If you really love somebody, then you will risk that person hating you because you love them that much. Can I get a good amen to that? That's why I've been sharing with you, if you don't have anyone in your life who tells you things that you don't like to hear, then pretty much you don't have a lot of loving people, genuinely loving people, biblically what it means to be loving people. I was thinking about this. Can you imagine here you are, Peter? trying to walk on water, doing all this stuff. And then all of a sudden he says, no, Jesus, you will not wash my feet. And then he goes, Satan, get behind me. Like, huh? That was a sharp rebuke. Because you don't have the mind of Christ. You don't have the mind of God. If you don't have people in your life who are telling you sometimes the hard things that you don't want to receive, you don't want to hear, I'm telling you right now, you're surrounding yourself with people who, who probably want something from you. They're kissing up to... Wherever. I think C.S. Lewis says is the best. Listen to what he says. The problem of pain in his book. He says this. The real trouble is that kindness is a quality fatally easy to attribute to ourselves on quite inadequate grounds. Everyone feels benevolent if nothing happens to be annoying him at the moment. Thus a man easily comes to console himself for all his other vices by a conviction that his heart is in the right place and that he wouldn't hurt a fly. Though, in fact, he has never made the slightest sacrifice for a fellow creature. We think we are kind when we are only happy. It is not so easy on the same grounds to imagine oneself temperate, chaste, and humble, or humble. You cannot be kind unless you have all the other virtues. If being cowardly, conceited, and slothful, you have never yet done a fellow creature great mischief, that is only because your neighbor's welfare has not yet happened to conflict with your safety, your self-approval, or ease. Every vice leads to cruelty. 
man. So I'm like, what, what, what was he saying? Let, let, me, let me translate. Sometimes I just feel the room and I'm like, okay, people are lost. I'm just enjoying it myself. So I'm like, this is not good. That's my own personal time. I need, I need to sh- communicate with you. Let me put it in the, the most simplest way. What it's simply saying is this. You're not kind if it doesn't cost you anything. Especially your safety, your self-approval. And usually, unless you are in situations and in different contexts, that risks those things, then it's all about you. And it's going to lead to all these other sins and all these other vices. I'm like, he hit it right there. Some of you who are so kind, like, man, I don't want to rebuke them, or I don't want to call them out. I don't want to say all this stuff. And everyone says, oh, you're such a kind person. No, you're not. No, you're not. You do not want to say those things because there's something in it for you. So you seem very kind when there's nothing to risk. But once these things are risked, then what happens? Then it's difficult and you get all thinking about yourself instead of that other person. So you are not fulfilling the law of Christ, which is love. If you genuinely love people, you will definitely help them because your heart's desire is, I want to become more like Christ. I want that person to become more like Christ. I don't want that person to go to hell. Now, there, there is this element of wisdom, right? So I'm not going to say some of you are going to leave this space and go, you're going to all go to hell. And that's not wise. (laughs) See, I have to even say that because I know some of us take things like, that's what he said. That's what the pastor said. There's wisdom, discernment, yes. But what I'm saying is this, if you don't share those hard things with people, then you do not really love them. You are not really kind. If you know that someone's going to die and spend the rest of eternity in hell for you not to say anything because you're so worried about what they think about you, you don't care about them. You're not kind. You think about yourself. You're self-centered. That's why even for myself, I have to preach the gospel and it's offensive. That's why I keep on saying, if you're not offended once in my sermon, I did not preach the gospel. No self-made man or woman want to hear that they need Jesus, that they need to repent, that they need to humble themselves. Who wants to hear that? But that's the gospel. How about us this morning as we think about this? Are you really authentically being helpful by your approach and by your attitude? Do you really love people? Or do you just love yourself? Because if you want to have good accountability you got to live life authentically. you got to be able to say, hey, this is my weakness. This is the things that I'm struggling with, but God, and that's what I want for you. I want you to experience this. Once again, good accountability starts, and it could, we could have it if we what? Live out in real authenticity. And I talked about the importance of just authentically being helpful. And that's not being like mincing the words or being overly harsh, but the approach and the attitude has to be with gentleness and with love. And in closing, I want you to also see this, that Paul talks about. I thought it was interesting that he ties this in. That in verse 3 to 5, he mentions how we must be authentically humble. Let me go ahead and read verse 3 to 5. Listen to what it says. 
For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Now, if a person is proud, he is morally and even spiritually better than he actually is. It's this mindset that I see all the time. I see it in myself. I see it in so many other people. Is that when a person is proud, they have an overestimation of themselves. They think that they're better than where they really are and who they are. And that's why they're not willing to take the load of other people. Because think about it. If you're proud and you think you're better than other people, then you're not going to go humble yourself and try to help others. A lot of times we're like, well, look at you. And you need to come up here to me. That's why those are the people who go to a life group or a gathering, and they go, people need to say hi to me first. No, they don't. You stand there by yourself. Like, do you have a right? Are you entitled? Now, if you're a pre-Christian, that's different because you don't know God's love. But here you are. I'm a Christian. We don't need to go up to you. Because you've experienced his love, you should be loving other people. Can I get a good amen to that? But if you've never experienced God's love, then yeah, that makes more sense. So that's why I'm saying people who are proud and people who are self-righteous, you know, they're not going to humble themselves and carry each other's burden and help other people. In fact, Paul uses that phrase, he, they deceive themselves. They're in deception. And that's one of the things that breaks my heart every single time I'm counseling people, listening to what they're saying, and I realize they are in complete deception. They don't see it. I'm going to relegate it to, oh, they're not self-aware. But I think we're, going, we're coming to a point where I'm going to have to call it out and say, you know what? You're being completely deceived by Satan. You're being spiritually oppressed by Satan. I mean, it's euphemism when we say, oh, you're not self-aware. But you're actually deceived. You believe in things that are not true. You think you're better than you really are. Because why? Because it says here that we're comparing ourselves with other people. This is why narcissism is one of the biggest hindrances to love, to patience, to compassion towards others. Narcissistic, uh, narcissistic people cannot go outside of themselves to have compassion and to love and be, to be patient. I mean, it's a strong word, but pretty much it's just self-centeredness. We all struggle with it to some extent. I know that when I get very self-centered, that I don't want to have compassion on certain people. I don't want to love them. I don't want to be patient with them. So that's why I got to repent and ask God, break my heart, remind me of the person that I was before when I didn't know you and how you brought people into my life, how you've been compassionate towards me. That's the gospel paradigm. That's why in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, listen to what it says. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, this is Paul speaking to the people of Rome, I give each of you this warning. Do not think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourself by the faith God has given you. That's why if you look at this passage again in verse 4, we notice that when we start comparing ourselves with others, it is easy to get proud rather than putting ourselves it says here to the test what does that mean to put ourselves to the test because what it's saying is really show who you are 
in your character, what you're made out of, because that's going to show how you live your life. Then in verse 5, it's a reminder that we will all, we all have different things that we're going to bear into the future. That's why carry your own load. There are things that you're going to have to do in terms of your responsibility that no one else can do for you. That word load and burden is different from the first word that we saw earlier. Because now this is something that you are responsible for. The others carry each other's burdens are things that are weight, that it's overwhelming them, so you will help them. But there are things you have to do. No one else can do it for you. Like, wouldn't it be awesome if someone could do soap for you? That would be awesome. Okay, transfer some money. And they give you the soap, and then all you do is forward it to all the people you're accountable to good i'm good listen some of us in this room we are not accountable because we seek after comfort and i think living in asia is all about comfort i understand this does not mean you come from a wealthy home but we seek for comfort we seek for security that's why some of you work so hard in school it's not to glorify God. It's all about you so that you can get a good job. And that job is not about God. It's not about your mission field. It's about so you can get a lot of money so you can buy a flat, so you can be comfortable. That's why some of you are doing all this stuff. That's, that, please, there's nothing wrong with stocks, Bitcoin, and all this other stuff, okay? But let me challenge you. Why are you doing it? Now, if you're doing it because you want to gain a lot of money so you can donate to the church, praise the Lord. <laughs> Something greater purpose beyond yourself. Praise God. Like I said, there's nothing wrong with those things. Investment, those things are good. But everything that some of you do right now, think about your life. Everything that you are investing in, everything, your time, your energy, it's all about you. Your self-centered purposes for your own acclaim. And it's that comfort so you can be comfortable when there are people dying without Jesus Christ. That's the problem that God has with our hearts. It's because he sacrificed and gave of himself, his one and only son, so that we can have life. And here we are trying to live and seek after just this comfortable life. What if God calls you to live a life that is, will not be comfortable? Are you willing to say yes to Jesus because he has bought you and you are not your own, but Christ and Christ alone. I think after this quote, you'll know who one of my favorite authors are. C.S. Lewis. <laughs> In his book, Mere Christianity, he said something that I thought was really helpful. Because this is, describes so many of us. And the reason why some of you are not growing. Listen, he says this, the Christian religion is in the long run a thing of unspeakable comfort. So let me just pause here. What he's saying is that if you really think about it, yes, if you think about Christianity in the long run, when you live this life and you die, it is about comfort, isn't it? To be in the presence of God for eternity. So in the long run, it is about comfort. But listen to what he says. But it does not begin in comfort. It begins in what? dismay in religion as in war and anything else comfort is the one thing that you cannot get by looking for it 
If you look for truth, you may find comfort in the end. If you look for comfort, you will not get either comfort or truth. Only soft soap and wishful thinking to begin with, and in the end, despair. Are you with me? Some of you are trying to chase after a byproduct rather than the reality of the very thing that will bring you the true comfort that you're seeking after. That's why some of you are trying to do all this really well at work and to do really well at school, which is great. But who are you doing it for? Your GPA. Right now, some of you are entering into finals. Who is it about? I think if you're really stressed, then it might be about you. But if you say, God, this is for you, and I'm going to trust in you, I'm going to do my best to study, I'm not going to watch Netflix, I'm not going to play the video games, I'm going to focus on you, and because it's a way to witness about you and to worship you through my studies and all that I do, then you don't make it about yourself and your GPA, but you make it about God and about His glory. Even work, some of you that always put in all the time and hour to work hard because you're trying to impress your boss. Why? Because you want to get a promotion. Why do you want to get that promotion? So you could get more money. And why do you want more money? So you can seek comfort and security. It's not about being a witness. It's not about a worship. It's not about your mission field. That's why the more you seek after comfort, the more you seek after safety, you're not going to find it. That's why those people who think that if they have more stuff that they will be satisfied and fulfilled. There's an author in the Bible that talks about how everything is meaningless. It's like chasing after the wind. The more you try to seek for success, you're going to be so empty once you are successful. The more you seek after safety, once you feel like you're safe, there's something else that will come. That's the point. But when you seek truth, when you seek Jesus, because Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. When you seek Jesus, then you will find all these other things as well. Joy, peace satisfaction, fulfillment, purpose, meaning in life. How about us? I think it's easy. Is it easy for us? So easy for us to judge others, isn't it? And we forget where we came from. That's why we got to be authentically humble. Don't compare yourself with others. Don't seek after things that will not fully satisfy. But make it about Jesus. The one thing, once again is that we have good accountability when we live in real authenticity. Can I just give us a couple things to pray about and even apply into your life this coming week? Because as you know, we're finishing off one season. We're going to enter into the summer. Some of us, we're taking a break for a couple weeks until we can start up new life groups again. Let me encourage us as we think about accountability is this. First of all, be inspired with the gospel. If you're not in awe, if you're not like, I want to live now, because you, you're not thinking about the gospel, then you got to ask God, God, inspire me once again. I totally lose focus every single time I get so caught up in the things that i got to do. And then when I pause and I think about where my life was, you know something else that is so really cool? I, I'm realizing more because I had some conversations recently with people who are not believers, but I was able to just share my testimony. I share about how I was lost and how God found me. I was sharing about all these different miraculous things that God did. And as I was sharing the story, like, you, your spirit is lifted. You guys know what I'm talking about? You're like, yeah, that's what God did. Praise God. Be inspired by the gospel on a regular basis. Don't forget where you came from, your story. The second thing is this. Be involved in an LCG. 
I pray that this coming season, in the summer, start, even starting from the summer, you will get involved in accountability group, life change group, LCG. The third thing is this, be intentional in asking. What I mean by that is when you're meeting up with people, be intentional in asking good questions. Be intentional about asking areas of their lives that you feel like they've struggled with and they've shared with you. Be intentional. And remember, if you're receiving those questions, just tell, remind yourself, they love me. They care for me. That's why they're asking. And lastly is be invested in relationships. Be invested in relationships. Because when you are invested in relationship, that's where you can love people. How else are you going to love? You can't love people in a mountain all by yourself. <sighs> I love you. I love you. No, you can't. It's in relationships where you can actually practice some of these things. Being humble, loving, all these things that we talked about, it is in relationships. So be invested in relationship. Whether it's life group, whether it's at work, whether it's at school, your family, be invested in relationships. I want to close with this video that I showed. Uh, you, some of you guys have seen this before, but it really spoke to me because there were these two men who decided one day that they're going to do something habitually, regularly, and just keep each other accountable. And they decided to do it. They were, they were, they were saying, well, let's do it for 10 years. It's really interesting. And uh, I want everyone to just kind of stick up on one hand. You can just lift it up towards your face. So just do this. Right? Go ahead and look at your hands. And then lift up the other hand. And then turn it towards one another and just give yourself a high five. <laughs> because this is exactly what they did. And listen to their story. And we'll close out with this. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.